Good evening. Welcome to the Sky Pilot Podcast. I'm Keith Anderson. Um, today's the 5th of June. This Sunday I was due to be preaching at the Bikers Church in Rixton. But unfortunately, due to this coronavirus outbreak, that's not going to be possible. But what I did want to do was get the essence of that sermon um, and the essence of that message over the airway. So at least we've got some kind of message to listen to and enjoy. So I hope that you enjoy it. I'm going to dive in straight into my sermon notes. Um, I'm just going to get straight into it exactly as I would if we was at church. Uh, I pray that God will move in, in mighty power throughout this sermon. I pray that whatever words that are not of him, whatever words of mine that will be taken away and struck from this recording instantly. I pray that everyone listening to this will be moved by the Holy Spirit in some way and that God will just touch your heart, soften your heart, and the Lord will make his presence known and the Spirit will just grow in you and dwell in you and his peace and joy will be with you. Whatever struggles you face this week, whatever struggles you have faced, that he will He will give you his Holy Spirit and it will move in mighty power. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I'd like to talk about the Gospel of Mark and in particular Mark chapter 5. The story begins with Jesus and his disciples on the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus says, let's go to the other side. And what does that mean? What does that? Let's go to the other side. Well, it's absolutely loaded with information. When Jesus says to his disciples, let's go to the other side, he's talking about a completely different world. See, in our modern worldview, we miss these details because to really see them, we need to look through a 2,000-year-old worldview lens. We need to look at the world through Jesus, the rabbi's lens, and his young disciples of 20 years old or so. See, when you read about Jesus preaching earlier on in the gospel through the book of Mark, up until this point, he preaches at Canaan on the Sabbath by the lake in the synagogue. Jesus, the young rabbi, is well and truly in his home in these places. He was a Jew preaching to Jews. So when Jesus says, let's go to the other side, this is a massive leap into the unknown. See, also as people of faith, we're also called into the unknown. We're called to take a leap of faith that takes us completely out of our comfort zone. The Holy Spirit can send us into a place we never dreamed of going. And I can attest to this. It pricks us, and prods us, it makes us uncomfortable. It calls us to greater things, sometimes, and challenging things. And this scares us. The disciples of Jesus, all young men, show real courage and a commitment to Jesus. If they would only be in their early 20s at best. So Jesus is saying to these young men, let's go to the other side. Let's move, let's go. And let... This would have been terrifying. And why would it have been so terrifying for these young men? Why would it have been such a big leap to go to the other side? See, Josephus, the historian, wrote about this in a book called War. In War, chapter 4, in War, the book, sorry, War, the book, chapter 9, he said that the area was under Roman military rule and that most of it was burnt to the ground. Men were kept as slaves and it was on the far edge of Alexander the Great's rules. The emperor would have been worshipped as the son of gods. And at the heart of their lifestyle, the community would have been the gymnasium. 
where men would have wrestled naked. So when Jesus said, we're going to the other side, this had been the world that he was talking about, and it was a completely different world. It would have been a completely different world from the one they knew, the one of Torah, the one of the Tanakh, the one of rules and ritual cleanliness and stories of Moses and the patriarchs. It would have been a million miles away from the Jewish traditions and offerings they were used to. These were the vicious occupiers, the masters of crucifixion. But, on a personal level as Christians, aren't we called to these places? The places where all seems lost, the places where everything seems desperate. Doesn't the Spirit of God poke us and prod us to go there, to the other side? Isn't that exactly where we should be? And then again, perhaps... On an even deeper level, the story speaks of the battle that rages inside all of us. The memories we're afraid to face. The other side can sometimes be within you. And it's sometimes the hardest place to go. And Jesus wants to go there as well. Jesus wants to say to you tonight, let's go to the other side. Let's go to that place that's scarred, that's damaged, that's been occupied by dark forces. And sometimes that's the hardest place for us to go. Sometimes we can go into the workplace and preach the gospel, but the hardest person to face is the one right across from us, the one that's in the mirror. So to cross the sea of life into the unknown, whether that be a new job or deep within our own hearts, what do we see when we get there? What demons do we find when we go to the deepest and darkest places? Those parts, the pains of loss, heartbreaks and fear. The spirit of Jesus is alive and well. The spirit of Jesus wants us to go with him to these places, either metaphorically within us or realistically when we go out into the world. Jesus is in the midst. In fact, I think Jesus is more in the midst when there's suffering, when there's bloodshed, when there's heartache, when there's trauma. You find Jesus right there. He makes his way into the most damaged parts of your world and through you, he can make his way into the most damaged parts of the world. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. Sometimes that's us. And sometimes he uses us to reach other people that were like us. When Jesus got off the boat and he crossed to the other side, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. Unclean spirit here is another word for demoned. Now, some people say, do you really believe in demons? I will. Yeah, I do believe in demons. I see him every day. And it's through the Bible, throughout the Bible. Mary Magdalene was possessed by seven demons. Now, I don't know if a true believer, a true person who belongs to Christ can be possessed by a demon or a devil. But there are forces in this world of darkness that can harass, pester and bother you. They can stop you doing things. They can leave you torn at home. They can attack you. Is it possible for a 
true Christian to be possessed by the devil? I don't think so. I've never seen it. But it is possible that you will be harassed by spirits of darkness. Just as the devil came after Jesus in the wilderness, and how did Jesus deal with those temptations and those tests? He quoted scripture. That's why it's important for us to immerse ourselves in the words of God. So that when these demons and devils come after us, we know exactly how to respond. There are demons and there are devils. And what I want to talk about today is what do those demons look like? How do we respond to those demons? Because when the devil comes after you, he's not going to come after you with pointy horns and a, and a pointy tail. He's not. He's going to look exactly like the thing you want. He's going to tempt you. He's going to tempt you. God never tempts. God is wholesome. God is love. If you're being tempted, it's by the devil. What will these devils look like? What would these demons be? Well, Timothy says this. The last days, some shall fall away from faith, paying attention instead to seducing spirits and the doctrines of demons. The seducing spirits are everywhere around us. The scripture says that the man had scars on his arms from self-harming. The sad truth is, sometimes this demon is flourishing in today's society. One in four people experience mental health issues every year. 792 million people are afflicted with mental health worldwide. And 50,000 new service users were sectioned, detained due to adverse mental health. Now, I'm certainly not saying that all people who suffer with mental health problems are controlled by demons or the devil. But is it possible that on some level, forces of darkness, be it of this world or another, have got a hand in this? Is it possible that spiritual warfare is an element in mental health issues? A demon of mental health is everywhere these days and it robs people of lives. The scripture also says he was a naked man. And in a day and age where sex obsession is on the rise, it's no surprise that scripture shows this example. There were 33.5 billion visits to the world's most popular porn site last year. Around 4.5 million people are trapped or forced into sex, sexual exploitation globally. In 2018, 447,000 new diagnoses of STIs, and that's just in the United Kingdom. See, the, de the devils and demons that come after people in today's day might not be the same as they were in Jesus' day 2,000 years ago. But he's still there. And he finds new ways to seduce and he finds new ways to corrupt. Because that's all the devil wants, is to rob you of your relationship with God. Is it possible that a demon of sex obsession lures its way into our lives? Empty sex, broken relationships. I was a master years ago of this. Hard to believe, I know. I knew exactly what to say and how to act. I was a master of finding a woman who had a trouble, troubled relationship, low self-confidence. I manipulated the situation for my own pleasure. 
However, not only did exploiting women for sex rob them of their humanity, it robbed me of mine as well. And I found I didn't like what was happening to me. I was becoming less human through this process. I was becoming a demon. Yeah. And it's sad. People sometimes are demons. Are the demons. We can be demonic. We can be evil to other people. We can seduce people for our own needs, feeding the demon. Another demon that exists in today's day and age is the demon of alcohol abuse. In England, there were 1.26 million hospital admissions due to alcohol abuse last year. That was nearly 8% of all admissions at all. There were nearly 314,000 years of life lost to alcohol abuse and 39% of violent incidents the victim believed the offender to be under the influence of alcohol and 36% of sexual assault cases the offender was under the influence of alcohol. And we see this at the minute with the coronavirus. We see people sitting at home drinking, 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 drinking. They're feeding the demon and it's robbing them of their lives and it's robbing them of their relationship for Christ. What can you do? What can you do? The demon of drugs. Drug deaths in the UK are rising faster than ever. 10% of the population have used an illicit drug in the last year. 21% of all adults 16 to 24 have used the drug in the last year. Deaths involving heroin have doubled since 2012. What can you do? They're everywhere. The demons are everywhere. And then there's a demon of social media. And while no official medical diagnosis is made for the addiction of social media, I believe it is damaging enough to warrant a mention in this sermon. Studies have suggested a link between innate psychological needs and social media addiction. Social network users seek feedback and they get it from hundreds of people instantly. Now, of course, you can say to me, Keith, this isn't a demon. This is... This is the 21st century. This is the way people live their lives, fast and free and hard. And some of this isn't anything to do with demonic possession or devils. or It's to do with medical conditions. But do I believe that it's possible that forces of darkness could have some influence in this world? Absolutely, because it's right there in Scripture. Could demons hold some power and control over the paths of people's lives in this world? Absolutely. Let a possessed man live with the dead. And so many of us are dead inside while we pursue these demons. And we need to be made alive with Christ. There's pleasure in sin, yet the hangover comes. The consequences appear and it hurts sometimes in the morning the families are broken torn apart by all the all the demons above lives are destroyed every day through the demons of drugs and drink and addiction to social media it's right there the good thing about the faith in the lord jesus is the hangover never comes you can fill that hole in your heart that you've been trying to fill with all manner of sin and worldly pleasures giving the demon a foothold in your life you can fill that hole with the thing we all yearn for, the thing we all need, a connection to the divine, a connection to the love of God, a connection to Christ. 
So when confronted with these demons, how does Jesus respond? The first thing Jesus says to the demon-possessed man is, what is your name? Now, naming something gives you power over it, both in a religious sense and in a personal sense. It gives you authority over the issue. If you're suffering with an addiction to drugs or just finding it hard to face yourself, naming the thing and finding the words to describe what you're going through is the first step to recovery. Admitting you have a problem, giving it language, it gives you power over it, even if it's only to yourself. Even if it's not necessarily a demon in the spiritual form. Naming the thing that you want to improve upon and change. Naming this thing is the first thing into making it a realisation. Think of a New Year's resolution. The first thing you do is put that thing into words. I mean, okay, they don't last that long sometimes, but that's the general idea is you give it language and then you hope to improve upon it. Now, the demon within the man says, Legion, Paul, we are many. And I suppose that's true of what we've just gone through. How many people have many demons? They don't. They have the demon of sex obsession. Then they have the demon of... And all these demons line up. I know when I was in a broken relationship and I wanted desperately wanted love from the wrong sources, that led to alcohol abuse. The alcohol abuse led to... I use some drugs. And these are... Because you follow that path. Once you, one demon gets a grip of you in life, many demons can. Also... The, the fact that Demon chooses to use the word legion. Legion was a name for a group of soldiers that had plundered the land some years before. The forces that seek to oppress the Jewish community at the time. So on this level, Jesus invites us to stand with him to allow his spirit to join with ours against any opposing or oppressing forces. In this day, it was the legions of the Roman Empire that came to plunder the land. But in our day, it can be any of the things. The Black Lives Matter movement, for instance, is us standing with the oppressed. It can be the symbol of any system you're stuck in. Family issues, changing to employment law, universal credit, the impressing forces may be different today to that of legion. But the results are the same. Those legions of oppression, those legions that hold you back. Bosses, life, demands of society, unfair justice. Those legions of oppression that have put in pressure on your spirit, they destroy what you were created for to be a disciple of the kingdom of God. Your heart senses it, your spirit knows it. You were not created to be broken or to serve a broken system fueled by man's greed. You were created to be great, to be free, to be holy, to be loving. The Holy Spirit drives against everything that oppression stands for. There's hope though. There is hope. For the, the spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit dwells within you. Jesus has always been and will always be a symbol of hope for the oppressed against the unjust rulers that unfairly use their power against the perceived weak. Jesus stands with us. His spirit guides us even in the darkest of times. You said when I'm, when I'm weak, I'm strong. 
Jesus stands with people against the system. Jesus tells you that I'll be with you. And Jesus fought the system with that much zeal that they crucified him. That's how far Jesus is willing to go. And the spirit of Jesus is within you. So if you want to stand up against communities that are corrupt, if you want to stand up against police that are corrupt, then you do it because so did Jesus. As the story goes on, the demon begs Jesus not to go, not to send him back to hell. The demon begs him to send him to the swine. He almost prays, he almost prays a prayer. How horrible must hell be if the demons don't even want to go back there? They'd rather dwell with the pigs and eat with the pigs than go back to hell. So Jesus did it. He answered the prayer. He sent them to the swine. Then the swine, around 2,000 of them, ran off the cliff and drowned. Once this had happened, the leaders of the town came to see what had gone on. And they saw the man who was possessed was changed. But they weren't interested in him. They were interested in economics. Their assets had been squandered. They weren't interested in the man at all. And I can't help but think that again resembles today's society. How many of us work ourselves into the ground, making ourselves ill for an employer that only really cares about our productivity? Anxiety, stress, job security. All this worry, especially in a day of zero-hour contracts. Even if you weren't in your right mind, as long as you were productive, would it even be an issue? And even now, as we work towards the end of the coronavirus lockdown concern is not necessarily for life but for the state of the economy millionaires stash their money away despite the fact employees are losing their livelihoods many of the financially affluent are only interested in protecting their own interests in the economy just like the men of decapolis and there was a formerly possessed man scripture says the men were afraid of the formerly possessed man. And I guess I can understand why they were afraid of him. Sometimes, just at the start of the story, you have to make a change. You have to move to the other side. And making that change is uncomfortable. I guess, truth be told, we've all known someone. We've all known that person. And we've all been that person who's been to prison. Who's had a, had a life of colourful nature shall we say he's had that life he's led that life and he goes yeah but I've changed and you're naturally suspicious of that person and I suppose that's only just how could we trust him again in scripture Paul when he was Saul of Tarsus persecutor of Christians how did Ananias know he had changed when he said he had Sometimes you just have to trust and hope and love. And if you're being brung to somebody who's broken, who's had issues at saying they're changed, you may just be like Ananias. You may be that person that God sent. You have to go there and be bold and accept the fact that actually this person may just need my help. This person, I might be exactly what they need, that God has sent me to help that person. We have to trust God 
that he is putting us in the right place, even when we don't understand. For God is in all things at all times, and his timing is perfect. Yet the people in the town, they didn't want to believe that he was changed. They ignored him. They were afraid of him. And I guess in some respects it speaks to the people of the town being afraid of change as well. Jesus has shown them this changed man. They don't want change. They want things to stay as they were. They want their happy farming the land. You start changing people's mentality of what can be changed and what can't, what's right and what's wrong. You're in trouble. You're you're making trouble for those people. How many times have you bought books for people or gone to people and told them the gospel and think, just change? They don't want to change. They're happy in their routine. Whether it's a right routine or a wrong routine, they're happy in it. And you have no issue, as far as they can see anyway, changing that. And that's sad, I suppose. But again, we just have to, we just have to love them and hope that the Holy Spirit will move in great power with them. So what do they do? They're upset. They've lost all the, the hogs. The man's changed. So what do they do? They plead with Jesus to leave. They beg him to leave. They pray with him to leave. This is one of the worst prayers in the whole Bible. But time and time again, we see people pray this. The Holy Spirit may prick you, may try to move you to the other side. It may make you feel uncomfortable. You either answer it and change. And change is hard. Change will cost you something. People thought I was crazy. I lost a lot of friends when I went to seminary. Then you you may answer that. You may go, okay, I'm prepared to give that up for you, Holy Spirit. I'm prepared to give that up for you, Jesus. Or you may pray like the men did here. That it will go away. That you go away, Jesus. You're making my life too hard. Go away, Holy Spirit, because I don't want to do that. I gave up my successful job, chefing, to go back into care work because the Holy Spirit told me to do it. I didn't want to do it, but I did it because I knew that was the voice of God, and that's what's led me to recording this sermon today. That's what's led me to where I am in my walk with God. Is that I listen to Jesus, but you may. Never get that opportunity again. You may tell Jesus to leave you alone. I plead with you. If you're being pricked by the Holy Spirit listening to this, if you listen to this and you think you need your life changing, if you're listening to this and you feel Jesus pushing you into his ministry, speak to me. Message me on Facebook. Get a hold of me on here. I'll always speak to somebody. And someone will. (laughs) Jesus has a plan for you and you can choose to pick up your cross and follow that plan tonight or you can ask Jesus to leave. But Jesus never twisted anybody's arm. Jesus never forced anyone to follow him or listen to his voice. So that's what Jesus did here. He left. So now what of the man possessed by many demons the man also prayed he prayed and pleaded with jesus to follow him and jesus said no (laughs) 
Oh, that's the best part of the story. The man said, please, Jesus, let me go with you. Presumably to learn from him. You know, he's just saved his life. He's changed his world. He's released him from all these demons. He says, Jesus, let me follow you. And Jesus says, no. And this is hard for us to get our heads around. And it's hard. It was hard for me. Uh, I went for a job about a year ago and I'm, it was perfect it was a perfect opportunity for me and I knew that this looked exactly like what Jesus wanted me to do and I prayed a prayer and I said Jesus give me that job Jesus said no <laughs> and Jesus does say no from time to time You might not get what you want when you pray. You might not get it. You might pray a prayer for a perfect house or a perfect partner or an easy life or to get better. Paul said he prayed three times for God to remove the thorn from his side and he never did. And it might make sense. Many times I've looked back on my life and seen that things wouldn't be the way they were now if prayers had been answered in a different way. God knows what he's doing. Trust him. Sometimes Jesus says no. <laughs> and sometimes that's the greatest blessing that can happen. Sometimes you might not understand it. It's hard when prayers aren't answered. Just like the man here knows it's the best thing for him, knows Jesus is the best man that he's ever met because he's the son of God. But he says no. And it's hard for us when prayers aren't answered. And it doesn't make sense. But Jesus knows. And God is dominion over all things. And one day, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, the reason why that prayer hasn't been answered will make sense, even if it's when we get to heaven. I promise you that. Jesus denied the man's wish to follow him. Jesus told him to go back to his home. See, I suppose it's easy to be transformed and changed in the moment. But what really counts is how we act after the times of our first encounters with Jesus. How we act after Sunday in our homes speaks far more of what we think of Jesus than how we act in church. How we act in our workplaces and our colleges, how we interact with each other in the midst of hardship and suffering. That speaks of who we think Jesus is more than how we conduct ourselves in church. If we truly have the love and the peace and the joy of Jesus in our hearts, it should change us, not only at the moment of our first encounter, but also in every second of our everyday lives. Jesus then commissions a man to go out into the world and tell people what wonders God has done for him. And in Mark 7, 31, it says this, Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee into the region of the Decapolis. Some people were brought some people brought him a man who was deaf. He took him away from the crowds. Whoa, hold on. Wait. Crowds? 
there were crowds. Now, there's no other mention of Jesus going to the area of the ten cities, the Decapolis, until he comes back in Mark 7. Now, it would be fair to assume the man was there and the crowds were there because somebody told them about Jesus the rabbi. And I suppose it's not too much of a massive assumption to assume that it was the man who Jesus told to go home and tell his family of the wonders God had done for him. I'd continued to spread the word of the Decapolis so the next time Jesus came there, there were many people waiting for him. The man who Jesus let preach the gospel with no training whatsoever led crowds to the Decapolis. How marvellous is that? And that is what I pray for us today. That no matter what we've been through, no matter what demons we've seen, no matter how damaged we may have been before we found Christ, that when we leave here, we go out and tell people what God has done for us so that crowds may gather to see Jesus because people have seen Jesus through us. Let us all share the story of what Jesus has done for us.